Welcome to HTB Stories, a podcast brought to you by Hack the Box. Want to know when we host these events live and ask your own questions? You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash hackthebox. Today's AMA will be featuring Zero, Zero XDF and Dinosin, two of our own people here at Hack the Box, talking about some of the most important hacks in the past and what we can learn from them. Now, on to the AMA. Hello all, how are you? With this spooky music. I wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for joining in. Today I have, you know, I have two co-hosts, but uh, unfortunately, not unfortunately, luckily I have three co-hosts. Here I'm with a skeleton. If uh, you want, also you can guess how I am dressed as what. So, hello all, how are you? Greetings from the headquarters of Hack the Box uh, here in Greece. I am Roadrunner, a community manager, hacker myself, and I'm uh, very happy for today's AMEA, which is going to be, I would say, a little bit different uh, because it will be more of a discussion, uh, maybe like a podcast, if you say, uh, with two amazing security professionals. One that we are luckily having him uh, working for Hack the Box and uh, you love him in our streams. And another one that we are so lucky to have him. I know him as a legend in his research and his posts. And if you do not follow him and you wanted to follow a tweet account uh, besides Hack the Box that uh, will uh, inform you about amazing updates, security updates and quick comments, I would say, uh, make sure to follow him. So today we have with us two people, I will let them in a few, ZeroXDF and uh, Nicolas Krasas, aka Krasan. This is the HTBU AMEA. Uh, we call it the, if you do not be afraid of hackers, become one. And for this purpose, we had a CTF. It's currently still running, but the top three are decided. And each day uh, we had beginner-friendly content in the theme of Cyber Awareness Month. That's why it's called Don't Be Afraid of Hackers, Become One, Hack the Boo. And uh, yeah, we have that uh, ready. We were setting tips all over the month. We were we were having an amazing uh, CTF the past week, and now we are ending this CTF with a nice hacking talk about some of the most scary, uh, impactful, and uh, security incidents that made everyone terrified. Uh, because they were actually pretty, pretty, pretty uh, serious. Uh, so I will uh, do not take any more of your time because I'm sure you are here for the pros. Uh, let's give it up to the amazing Nicolas. Thank you so much. Hi, hello, everybody. And to ZeroXDF. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's perfect. So, do you want guys to introduce yourself? Let's uh, start with our first, first, first time guest. Uh, I, I think you don't mind, ZXDF, uh, Nicolas, to present uh, some things about himself. So, who you are? Who you really are, Nick? <laughs> um, I'm a security professional, and uh, I believe um, at this time from the eldest in the industry. Uh, I started in 1999 uh, as a security security and network administrator at the time, oh. and I continue my path uh, 
since since then. I love security. I love everything about security. I love the way that makes you think. I like. I always like that. Um, it's keeping your mind active. You are looking at one problem and you are trying to discover ways to approach it and ways to go behind security controls. And this was always my my passion. So I'm still here, still trying. Still trying, nice. And what draw you to security in the first place? Because in 1999, uh, security was uh, an idea. It wasn't what it is today that is so robust. Um, I, I issue actually that I noticed when I started working in a, I was working in an internet service provider and I noticed that uh, at the time in Windows uh, NT uh, you could uh, bypass the authentication in the system and log in without credentials in doing a dial-up connection so you could uh, connect to the to the annex server without any credentials and you could be logged in in the internet uh, of that time. And I found it very interesting. Then I continue with uh, systems and uh, network. Nice. Okay, so by, not a mistake, by something that you found that is working, it intrigued you. Yes. Okay. And uh, do you want to say more about not your, uh, what you currently do? What is your current profession? I'm mainly working as a penetration tester, senior penetration tester, and uh, I love what I do. It's keeping me every day and all day interested. It's a very nice profession. I wish I had more time to do research. The research in the security is something that I miss. Uh, I hope in the near future I will have more time to spend and do security research and give more to the community. Nice. Thank you for this. And let's go now. Uh, thank you so much uh, for the uh, Nicolas insight, Nicolas. Uh, let's go now to the one and only, the people that is, uh, I think, uh, are getting uh, more love than Ipsic. I don't want to create any feuds, but uh, okay. Uh, we have Xerox DF with us, aka David. David, thank you so much for coming again in one of the streams. How are you? Sure, I'm doing great. I'm nowhere near as popular as Ipsec, but uh, that's a, that's a high <laughs> bar. Um, but doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, we have a nice comment. Zurich gave the wise one. And uh, FYI, Nicholas, everyone is like, oh, my mentor is here. Oh, my God, I'm seeing him on the stream. Uh, I didn't Thank know you we would have so much of hype. Uh, yes, and the viewers are increasing. Whoa. No pressure. Uh, so, guys, <laughs> so, uh, David, what are you currently doing in Hack the Box? Uh, so, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a training lab architect for Hack the Box. Um, I've been working for Hack the Box for almost two years now. Um, and I get to kind of bounce around and work on all sorts of things. So, I get to help develop content, test content, um, automate some things to make things run more smoothly. Um, I just it, it's a blast. I have a great time doing it. Um, so before coming to Hack the Box, I had about 15 years of working in different information security roles. Um, and uh, yeah, been working here for two years. It's been great. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you can tease something, but uh, what is the thing that um, drew you more to work on cybersecurity? Like the one that made you, wow, this is why I want to do this. 
Yeah, you know, my very first job out of college um, was not in cybersecurity. Um, I was doing some technical data analysis, and I ended up working on a project that kind of overlapped with some people who worked in doing cybersecurity professionally. And I, I didn't, I didn't know that much about computers. Um, I couldn't explain to you how a TCP handshake worked, but I just sort of thought, that's cool. I, I want to get into that, and I. You know, so I just started looking for ways to start working with them more and eventually got a job over working in a security team and built it from there. Um, one of the cool things about cybersecurity is at least when I was coming up you know, 15 years ago, there was no school for cybersecurity that exists now. But, you know, you don't have to have um, college background in cybersecurity to be successful in it. It doesn't hurt, but, you know, it, you know, you can come in some of the best cybersecurity professionals I ever worked with were English majors in college or whatever. Right. As long as you love problem solving and um, thinking, thinking te technically and thinking creatively, like it, this can really be a field for you. So nice what you mentioned that uh, creativity plays a huge role in the cybersecurity and pen testing. I don't know, Nicholas, do you agree? Of course, of course. And do you have uh, a security master or background, something like that, like you studied cybersecurity or it was like, like Xerix DF, your passion and you followed it? I finished uh, university a long time ago for computer in computer science. I continued for a PhD degree in uh, chemical engineering. But uh, whilst I was studying, I was doing penetration testing. So <laughs> I would imagine that I was studying for chemical engineering, but I was doing penetration testing for, for uh, at that time. We're talking about 2000 and doing it remote. So it was known really uh, to my to me that my passion is there. So okay. I continue there. Uh, to me, it's uh, kind of the same. I was in a computer science school uh, because I thought I want to be a developer. Before I, I used to hack, but like it was famous, you know, to hack uh, Wi-Fi's of people. It's not good, but you know, back then, it's not good, it's prohibited, but you know, <laughs> good luck. But you know, back then it was everything play, everything, uh, no, uh, it was over HTTP, it was like crazy. Uh, so it was very fun as a child when you do not know all these things. Uh, but I wasn't doing something bad, I was just uh, getting some Wi Fi because I couldn't. Uh, sorry, everyone. Uh, yes, and um, what else? Yes, but I didn't know hacking was a thing, or that is hacking. It was like doing something alternative, uh, not alternative, like finding another way, mm -hmm. uh, which is hacking uh, either way, the concept. And uh, then I studied computer science and we had like a security, um, a security course. And I was like, oh, my God, you can instead of making stuff, you can break them and be paid for it and like protect people from the bad guys or like get bad guys or like be the bad guys. Let's not go there. Uh, but whatever, this is why I love security so much because you get to break stuff and it's so innovative. Like you, as Nicola said, you can never get bored with cybersecurity because there are so many topics. First of all, uh, you do not need to have imposter syndrome because no one can know everything, right? And there are so many open things to know and to be in that, uh, I, I understand what Nicola said that it keeps me interested every day because you have to learn something every day. Uh, but that, that is my uh, story that, oh my God, I get to break stuff, nice. Uh, 
So we can uh, jump. I don't know, guys. Do you celebrate Halloween uh, where you are from, uh, where you're located? We do. Ah, we do. nice. We, we do, do not do. I mean, uh, Greece, uh, but we did a little bit of uh, Halloween spooky theme because of the stream. Uh, did you go trick or treating, or it's not yet? It's not yet. Thirty first Monday. Perfect. And what is your favorite Halloween movie, if you have one? Uh, Adam's Family, of course. One thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't have I don't have a favorite Halloween movie. I have to think about that. So sure, Perfect. the Adam's Family. That's the one that comes to mind. Uh, to me, it is the Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's oh, why. Yeah, I loved him Barton in general and his aesthetics. Uh, And it's also inspired the whole theme and the visuals. I don't know if our uh, design team is is watching us, but when we were designing the CTF and uh, the the theme and everything, it was very inspired by uh, this. And I was very close to dress as Jack Skeleton, but next year. (laughs) Uh, Because I have the stripped uh, suit. Uh, but I will make it. Now I'm. Uh, yes. So let's start with. Uh, let's start with the topics. So as we said today, we're going to be a little bit of chit chat. As we say, a little bit of uh, not to understand all of us. Uh, some people analyze, and some people uh, will learn about them. Some people will uh, don't know them yet, or uh, they will. Uh, learn more in depth about some of the most spookiest cybersecurity incidents that happened. Uh, the first one that we will discuss it happened in 1999. Fun fact, Nicholas joined, as I now know, uh, that year. Yes. I don't know if it is, oh, what happened? I don't want to spill any tea. Uh, the NASA cyber attack. I'm joking, guys. Don't be <laughs> And then we have in 2009 the Bicket password leak. Rock you. I'm sure everyone you know it and you use it. It's actually pre-installed in your Kali and your Parrot. But do you know what happened and that leak? So we're going to keep diving inside this today. The Stuxnet worm. Uh, if you're not familiar with this huge incident, uh, we will also deep dive in today. It was one that we were, for some reason. For some reason, you will understand the reason. It was also very popular in uh, uh, computers uh, schools. I was. It happened in 2010, and when I was going in computer science school, it was it was around the age. I'm that old, and um, yeah. And this is what they were using uh, in 2011. The PlayStation Network hack. In 2014, the Yahoo cyber attack. Uh, if uh, you if you have a Yahoo account and you don't know about it, but you had it still then, go to Have I Been Pwned. Uh, I'm in that list for sure. Uh, yes, and uh, 2017, wanna cry? What can I start to say from this? It was the most difficult uh, thing in my professional life, and I have done. No, I have done some difficult stuff, but this was one I was most terrified, and of course. Something that happened two years ago, the solar winds hack. So these are the things that we're going to discuss today. And if you want something that uh, you want to uh, discuss or an incident that you have in your mind that you want us to discuss, uh, we can uh, discuss it at the end of the stream. And if you have any questions for the text, just leave it there. 
So, let's start with the NASA cyber attack in 1999. So, who wants to start? Nick, maybe you? Yeah, I will start with it. Um, that takes us back, and I would like to add more, a bit more information about the, the scenery at the time, because uh, I don't know if many people will know it. Um, groups at the time were organized into IRC chats, and they were big IRC chats as Fnet, Dalnet, and uh, I don't remember many of them anymore, uh, where communities were formed inside. And the communities were formed in order to exchange information, exchange exploits, and um, targets, share data from targets. It was um, something like what we would call now the dark web. But at that time, there was no such thing as a dark web. So in June 1999, uh, 15 years old, uh, computer hacker, he was called later, uh, caused a 21-day shutdown of NASA computers that supported the International Space Station and invaded the Pentagon weapons computer system to intercept 3,000 email addresses. Uh, he managed to steal the passwords and the username from addresses, and he could uh, use them later in order to log in to other systems like an employee. Uh, interesting facts. His father was a programmer for 1999 to be a programmer, and uh, it, was, it, it meant a lot, not many people in that uh, profession. And uh, the 15-year-old was brilliant as well. Uh, the exploit was never put in public, but I can assume that it was uh, something related to default passwords, easy, easy guess credentials that uh, at that time we could see a lot happening. Um, later on, uh, he accessed 13 computers also at the Space Flight Center uh, as well. And uh, he downloaded. Yes? Nicholas, I didn't understand that. Can you please repeat? Mm -hmm. he, yeah. he, yeah. He accessed another 13 computers okay. later on. And uh, he downloaded uh, 1.7 million worth of NASA proprietary software that supported the space station environment including control for temperature and humidity. Very, very critical information if you consider the environment. Uh, NASA, to respond to this attack, they shut down the, com the computers. They couldn't respond at a time. No incident response team were formed at a time. And for 21 days, in order to 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 make an assessment, how big is the attack and what has been done? And a lot of a lot of work at that time in order to 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 recover from from this. Um, yes. Sorry, can I ask? So they sat down, as I understood, as you said, twenty-one days. Mm -hmm. What? They sat down the computers. There is no imagine that at that time there is no. Incident response plan. There is no uh, risk uh, risk management plans. There are no procedures set yet. Even today, many companies may not even have them yet. Uh, there were no procedures, so people who did not know how to react. So even if you call the police, they will say, "Okay, what is it?" <laughs> <laughs> 
it's crazy. It just, I'll add, you know, I was in high school at the time, right? But, you know, like homes didn't have internet then, or like we had dial up internet. We could connect to AOL and we chat on AOL. You know, I remember Napster had just come out. And so you could, the idea that you could download songs off the internet, I would download a song, like let it run overnight to download a single MP3. You know, like the internet was such a different place. Like, you know, 20, you know, so I don't think people knew how to respond to this kind of thing. You know, it yeah. wasn't, there was no, there was, this was like one of the first. Um, I don't know, uh, guys, it reminds me uh, of the meme that in case of cyber uh, security attack, just uh, put the plug. This is what it reminds me. I don't know if actually the image is from that incident. Uh, for someone that is asking, it happened in 1999. Uh, and what do we know if he did anything with all these things that he had and he downloaded all this? Okay. No, he do didn't we know do anything. Him? Yes. His name was later, uh, he was identified. Uh, it's not very difficult, especially at that time, to identify somebody. There are not many connections to, to start with. <laughs> so he was identified. Uh, mainly, he was not identified for the NASA incident. By the way, this is one NASA incident. Being around in the chats at that time, there were many, many compromised systems uh, from several agencies and uh, information going around. Uh, he was later, uh, he had later uh, in August, like two months, uh, August and October, a few months later, same year, he entered the computer network on the Defense uh, Threat Reduction Agency, uh, whose mission is to reduce threat from nuclear, biochemical, chemical, uh, convention and special weapons to the United States. So he touched a very critical system. I guess he used some of the passwords that they were previously uh, obtained from the NASA uh, compromised systems. Um, he, and he, in, he got access also into 10 military computers. Uh, he was poked and I can imagine how it would have been for him. Uh, next day, uh, SWAT was in his house, knocking the door and arresting him. He, uh, a trial followed after a few months and uh, after several months and uh, he was uh, sent to, to jail at the time. But uh, to be honest, it was one from the just six months. He just spent six months. See, he was a minor also. So he didn't uh, spend much time. His name is uh, was released later in the trial. Initially, it was not released in the initial documents in the trial as he was a minor. But later, it was released when he uh, passed the 17th year. So his name is Jonathan James. And uh, there were a few more incidents that they attributed uh, to him and his team. He was working in a, in a team together. Okay. And suddenly he's not with us anymore. It would have been very interesting to hear the story from his side as well. For sure. Yeah. Uh, he. At I think, I don't know, I want her input, uh, guys, um, because at that point, even to do something that for today is not a, such a sophisticated attack, as you said, Nicolas, 
when you have access at least maybe to think like that at that point shows, shows an amazing way of thinking. And uh, so he must be a brilliant mind even if he did something that was uh, bad at uh, the time. Uh, I don't know what are your thoughts about it. It shows brilliance. It was. It shows brilliant. Consider the age. He was 15. Yeah. 15 at the moment, if you're talking about 15 years old at the moment, most of them, they will tell you Minecraft. He was hacking in NASA and in uh, uh, military computers. So there is a big difference. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, such a shame. Uh, but uh, it's at least it created, I think, a, a pace afterwards that the hacking is something because now we have a lot of young people in uh, the community and uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed by their talent, but it's such easier now to get access to all these resources. And uh, back then it was insanely difficult. There's a very, very nice uh, website that provides also information and assistance. You may join it, Hack the Box is called. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Nicole. Uh, nice product placement there. I didn't expect it, but thank you. Uh, is it do you have anything from your side about uh, these or similar attacks or something that you want to comment on? No, I mean, I, I, this one is one where I, I only know about it in history. You know, I, when I was when I was a kid, when I was a kid when this happened, and I was not paying any attention to computers. So, I, it's it's. But again, it's just you got to remember how different the world was back then. Um, yep. So. Uh, so, we can move to the next one, uh, the password leak uh, that uh, created one of the best password lists ever. Uh, I will say, I don't know if I should say this, maybe it's a thank you now, okay, rephrase, maybe it's a thank you now because it made um, people assessments and pedestrians their life easier when it comes to find the passwords and uh, then if you are also into um, getting hashes and you have all this um, uh, equipment in order to crack the hashes etc uh, this is something handy to have and i know a lot of people or at least a lot of uh, teams uh, internally uh, you do not have to tell me yes or no uh, if you do it uh, that they create their own passwords. It's like they take rock you, but from many assessments that they do, like they enrich these lists in order to make sure that things are not getting repeated and they fix everyone, not for their own purpose for sure. And uh, in order to to crack the rest, and I was uh, I think I remembered uh, from a pen test that uh, a friend was telling me that it was uh, the password that they cracked was in Greek and it even had like spaces in, but they cracked it like, I couldn't believe that something like this could be cracked. It's crazy. Uh, so, biggest password leak ever, Rokyu. Nicholas, I see you're nodding. What do you want to say about it? Because it was trivial. Okay. This thing. It was trivial for the, for 2009, also, but also for now, for now standards, uh, we don't know exactly who identified the initial exploit uh, and how this was, uh, but we know how this was released. Uh, in a hacking forum, it was released in a forum thread that there is a SQL injection, a trivial SQL injection in the website. Um, 
Rockview for people maybe they they would not know about it. Uh, it was a very very big startup that started uh, working with Facebook and they were creating applications. And think about it like the Zynga now. Mm. Uh, they started uh, together with Zynga. They were more dynamic at that time. They were, I think they were bigger than Zynga from at that time Zynga. Uh, they were competitors, certainly, same tools, same, um, same promotions, and um, very bad techniques. Very bad. I think that it is one of the examples of what the companies should not do and how they should not respond to also in incident responses. The initial exploit, uh, as mentioned, it was an SQL injection. It was put in a forum, but uh, the person who put it in the forum, apparently it was not the same one that dumped the databases. Oh. Somebody else in the same forum later on uh, uh, provided the initial, started the initial dump of the databases. And uh, at the end, it led to 32 million of user accounts being uh, released. Some problems. Um, an incident can happen to anybody. That is something that we have to accept. Anybody can have a security incident. Nothing is unhackable. Nothing. It all depends on the time that the attacker will spend. Uh, what was wrong there? The passwords and the, the all the information was stored unencrypted. So the passwords were unencrypted, and that's why we have a very nice password list from uh, Rocky. There was no need to decrypt anything, no need to spend more time. The response from uh, Rocky was initially to downplay the whole incident and uh, treat it as um, nothing major happened. Sure. <laughs> oh, really? 32 million uh, accounts were affected? Yeah, all the database, all the user database. But they treat it like nothing happened and everything is uh, is going well. Uh, eventually, they had more problems, uh, infrastructural problems, uh, procedural problems, and how to handle this uh, incident, uh, which led to, I, I don't know if the company exists anymore or when it uh, stopped existing. But we really thank them for a very nice password list that they have provided to us. Hey. I'm actually pretty sure they, they did go out of business in like 2013, I believe. Um, they made an additional mistakes uh, in the process that you don't do. The, overall, if you think about it as a company policy, uh, there is another incident that uh, happened to them, minor, in, minor but uh, as a business, it, it, it was impactful. They were sending information for they were sending information to uh, to their um, third uh, party third party companies, uh, and for example, they were not using BCC. Uh, you know, when you're using BCC in the email, you don't show up the addresses of the okay. of the of the list. They put every all the emails in CC. So, and I think it was the CEO who did it, or somebody high in rank. The, and they had the, all the partners listed there that they are using. What happened was that, that the next day, uh, Zinka, that it was a competitor, approached these parties and offered them a better 
reward. So they lost they lost a significant number of developers, companies that they're working with, like this. The CEO apologized for apologized for it, and he said that it was a mistake that's not going to happen again. And it happened again, I think, two months later from that incident. So organizing and the way that the people were taking into consideration little security uh, manners, hygiene, and so on, it was not there. Okay. Uh, not having people in BCC, something that, I don't know, it happened even to me from... Uh, in a CTF competition that they said, I don't know, maybe they're, I don't want to say the marketing team because it's not, uh, those people know, I don't know who did it, but they replied to all, uh, not winners, all participants, thank you, blah, 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 and they replied with CC. Okay. Uh, And um, what it strikes me is that you said that they treated this incident as nothing major happened. Didn't people like... um, I don't know, asked a lawyer, wasn't something else happened? Like At that time, we didn't have the the fines as they are now. If this is going to happen now, the company will go bankrupt in a few months from the fines that they they will have. But at the time, there was no such uh, big fines that they will impose in the companies. Okay. Ouch. And uh, what has uh, since then uh, have happened uh, such uh, similar password leaks that comes to your mind? We have the LinkedIn. Ah, The LinkedIn LinkedIn, uh, incident, I think it was 2010 or 14. I don't remember exactly. There was a LinkedIn, there was a WeChat, um, the big one. One very big hosting provider also that was compromised uh, and uh, all the client information were released a few years back. As a number of accounts, I could say these are the biggest. Yeah, the ones that strike you the most. And uh, yeah, say David. I was gonna say, at, at the risk of sounding repetitive, it's, it's important to think about this one in the context of what the world was like, you know, 12, 13 years ago. I'm, you and I, are people watching this are probably all very used to, you know, you get onto your Parrot OS or your Kali OS and there's rockyou.tech sitting right there and you've got sec lists and you can go pull all these word lists and they're all just available to you. Um, when this came out, a pen tester at the time in 2009 didn't have access to million word password lists. Like it just, it wasn't out there. And so if you wanted to do like a password spay or some kind of brute force, you kind of had to like make up your own list or figure out how you wanted to do it. And when this hit the for, you know, when this hit the, you know, dark net or whatever the forum, you know, the breach forums or whatever they're going to be, pen testers were sort of saying, wait, we, we can use this. And that was like a novel creative idea at the time. Like, again, that we all take it for granted today, right? Like it's kind of an unwritten rule on hack the box that if you're meant to crack a password, it's going to be in rock you. And we're just like, because we're just kind of used to having it, right? But like, this was, this was like unheard of to have this many passwords that were real passwords that might be people might use that you could actually play with. Wow, uh, they, that is 
striking and I'm trying to, to think of that it should be more targeted back then because you couldn't password spray. You should create a list, okay, with all of you, etc. But if you wanted to, to check on someone, you should check their name or like... It's, it's probably a bad example. Yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be password spraying with Rocky. That's a great. That's a great point. If you're if you're doing network brute forcing with Rocky, you're probably either trying to be really loud or going about it the wrong way. But when it comes to uh, hash cracking, is really where Rocky has made its uh, made its money, right? Or it's gotten famous is because now all of a sudden, you know, when you get a bunch of hashes, because since 2009, best practice really is to hash your passwords, right? Now when you get those, you know, you can bang it against a list of millions of passwords and see if the common ones are going to fall out. It was also one very good example to show the um, frequency of passwords, do a frequency analysis and present and have, you had a very, very, very large list of 32 million. So you can have a frequency analysis and say that I, my top passwords, my top 10 passwords are this. And you know that this amount of top 10 passwords is it's going towards to the, I don't know, 5% or 10% of the, the whole list with a huge number overall in order to consider it. So you can modify your, your ways, your tools, your whole process and say, okay, at least I will do these 10 passwords because there are tons. That's a great point. Yeah. And uh, also there are, um, I don't remember how they're called, but there are some uh, specific um Additional list that you can put on uh, on Hashcat that uh, they do mutations of the original password in order to make sure they work. I don't know how I don't remember how it's called, uh, but it so it takes a password and it changes uh, regarding of that list as well. So oh, it takes you, another list. You apply like Hashcat rules or John, you you're talking about to like manipulate them and you know take a take yeah. a word, yeah. add an exclamation point to every one of them or add a symbol or. Yeah, make, really make it lead speak. Yep, lead speak or something. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I I think what we can uh, take out of this is that for sure, do not if anyone is a young developer, do not create databases that have passwords unencrypted, uh, because the one that you said, Nicolas, that that he hacked and he didn't have to do anything else because they were not encrypted. It shook me. I didn't know that. I didn't expect that to be honest, and uh, for sure create something that not, as we did about password tips, uh, personal details are for your diary, not your password. So <laughs> try to keep it away from there and uh, create something else. Uh, you, we are all uh, people, hackers, we know mathematicians, we know mathematics, you can create something like equation or anything, but it can be different. Uh, so. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, I believe you, uh, again, uh, Nicolas, you want to say more. I don't know if you want uh, something guys to, to consider, to, to say about the previous incident. David, do you want to add something to the previous, to about Rocky? Okay. Uh, Stuxnet war. What was that? Because I think it uh, changed everything. So what is the Stuxnet worm for everyone that doesn't know it? A very sophisticated tool of uh, um, set of tools that created over a long time. And now the, this worm managed to infect more than 20,000 devices. Uh, it was highly targeted. 
in uh, for 14 Iranian nuclear facilities and managed to ruin around uh, 900 centrifuges. Um, the worm itself did not do any damage outside its target. And uh, if I remember correctly, if it was going to uh, infect a system which did not have a specific, uh, specific, specific setup that it needed, it was going to stay either lurking or uh, it's going to be removed uh, from the environment. Um, who created is the good uh, question there. Uh, the, it, there is no team or no attribution on who created. It is at the moment uh, it is mentioned that they, it is uh, intelligence intelligence agency of U.S. and Israel created uh, this piece of code. It's highly sophisticated. It, uh, uh, it exploited uh, several vulnerabilities in PLCs, um, in uh, Siemens uh, software, in um, Windows uh, libraries. It had zero days exploit that we didn't, we hadn't see uh, until then anywhere. Uh, it included capabilities to remove itself from uh, incompatible, incompatible systems, lay dormant, reinfect clean systems. One big uh, thing that uh, it could uh, do when it was going to infect one device, it could uh, withstand also uh, reinstall on the device. So it was going to be present after uh, reinstall on the device. Um, it had a lot of a lot of checks that it was performing in order to be sure that it maintained its place. Additionally, uh, one very clever part: it did not destroy. It did not have a direct impact. It was causing impact through time. The worm was identified and it was made known in 2010, but uh, it is said that existed um, development and spread of it existed since 2005. So possibly it was there for already five years. And what we don't know is the actual goal. Uh, it was never known for us what was the actual goal. Yes, it was infecting Iranian uh, uh, nuclear plants, uh, and the, the target was to destroy the fuel-enriched plants in the centrifuges, uh, which was going to cause a cascade effect in the power, in the power plants. You know, you essentially taking the whole country out of electricity. I could imagine blowing up also things in the way. Uh, but it did not, we don't know if it was it meant to destroy or to um, destroy through very, very, very long time. So okay. like a sabotage and through time uh, effect. Also, what is not known to us because we haven't seen the actual results of something being destroyed, if it is succeeded in at some point into what it was doing or is it failed midway? Okay, 
Uh, I have several questions. I, I think like I'm a student or some uh, days like Tuesday. Uh, uh, so, uh, if, so, the chain of attacks that you mentioned, that it included, I understand now why you say it was a toolkit, it was a tool. And all these zero days, what, you know what it makes me think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they had access to something similar or they knew how it looks in order to create something so successful, something that is so custom fit. I don't know if it makes sense, but it's not that there is a technology, you know, it and you go, but it, it seems like it was, it was something that it was made just for this. I believe the same. And uh, in order to create this, you need to have an exact replica of the environment in order to perform this attack. It was not checking just for the um, the system to be there. It was verifying the versions as well. So it was targeting specific versions of uh, software, of PLC, of devices that they, they were there. It was very, very specific on uh, the exact attack that it was performing. Yeah. If you do, do you know more about the exploit? If you want, you can explore, you can explain it more, like all to, into detail. It's, it sounds very interesting. Um, it had, it consisted of uh, DLL injections. I'm trying to simplify the list here because uh, there are many attacks. Uh, it could spread laterally um, through infected networks using uh, removable networks, print service, network connections, Siemens uh, semantic uh, databases. Uh, it could infect uh, SQL databases. Wow. It had many pieces of, uh, it could inject its code block in the PLC. Uh, it had a lot of options uh, to infect. I think, uh, yes, sorry, Zirik. This always makes me think of, um, we actually had, we actually had a hack the box box um, called uh, Drop Zone, that one of the vulnerabilities, it was kind of, it was, it was different in that apparently Stuxnet used like a SMB vulnerability to start getting execution, but um, you actually went after the same vulnerability in this box. And I remember it because it was a, it was a really, I learned a lot about how it worked doing this box. Um, you know, but basically there was these things called MOF files, which are almost like um, WMI, it's like storing WMI information in a text file. And if you could write this MOF file to a certain place, Windows would process it and actually create the WMI instances that you want and effectively get execution that way and I believe a system. Um, and so not to like shill hack the box stuff, but you go play with the old box drop zone um, and you can dig into, I believe it was, um, it's MS 10061 is the one, the, you know, there was lots of vulnerabilities on this one, but that one I thought was really interesting. It's one that I always remember. I didn't know. I I know that they have done drop zone, but when it was, I think it was released a very old box. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. It's let's see. I'm my my blog for, blog post from it is from 2018. So yeah, it must have retired. Uh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. So that's why I was still hiking a little. Uh, it uh, strikes me that uh, from uh, you because you you mentioned all these chain attacks. Okay, we said that it's custom fit, like it was. 
tailor-made, let's say, uh, but hacking PLCs. What? It was it a thing back then? Maybe it was the first time that it happened? It was the first time. It was the first time and also the first time that uh, it introduced the idea to the um, to, to the business community and InfoSec community that something like this can happen and it, and it is happening actually. Yeah, because um, my point is that uh, when we do competitions and we have a track also in Hack the Box and we were also this year uh, with uh, hardware and IoT challenges at DEF CON, uh, not a lot of people know and play the stuff in 2022. So I cannot even imagine what knowledge and what dedication you needed to have back in the days in order to hack a PLC system. Uh, mind blown. Like if I could put memes here, I would put this one. Um, so it was the first time a PLC hack. And uh, the first time that we saw possibly something that derives from uh, the work of intelligent agencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you recall, the next time that we saw it was a few years back with the Sado Hunter's Dam, uh, where there were released uh, several exploits. Uh, shadow brokers. Shadow brokers, yes. The shadow brokers. Shadow workers. That was so again the work of uh, intelligence agency and uh, exploit exploits that we never have seen before. A very large sum of exploits. Okay, hey, shadow workers. You said I'm searching them. Shadow workers. That that will come up in a later topic. <laughs> ah, okay. okay. No Perfect. Perfect. So I will keep it to, to explain it uh, there. Uh, but uh, just out of curiosity, of course, it might be not disclosed or anything, but do we know something now that I'm thinking, because it's so tailor-made, the same attack cannot be used somewhere else. No. So, But other things that were affected by Stuxnet, Worm, but you said that first, like it, it couldn't affect something that it didn't want to affect. It was tailor-made. So, yes, you, you replied earlier to my point and question. Thank you. Uh, wow, Paul, this is huge. I'm mind blown. That's why security is uh, so cool. And uh, for something that is next level, uh, I don't know how, how this is very mind blown. Let's go to... 2011, uh, the cyber attack on Sony PlayStation Network. Uh, maybe it's time, David, to start speaking about it. Yeah. So, so it's just you know setting the scene. Um, by 2010, you know Sony, uh, PlayStation, and Xbox are both starting to come online. They're starting to have this idea of you know when I was a kid, you had your Nintendo and you played it, and you had to have your friends come over if you wanted to play with them, but you know, now here we are at the end, you know, by 2010, we're starting to get networks. Um, and in general, Xbox is considered to be pretty far ahead of Sony on their network at this time. Um, and there's, people were enjoying kind of modding their PlayStations and messing with it. And Sony puts out some uh, patches for the firmware that basically tries to lock it down and says, kicks any modding out, basically says, you're, you know, 
you only can use our exact stuff as it is. So early 2011, a guy named George Holtz successfully cracks the firmware and he basically starts distributing a jailbreak from his website for your PS3. And Sony quickly sues him. Um, they go to YouTube and they say, give us the IP address of anyone who watched his video. Um, like they are going with straight litigious, like just trying to take down anyone who's trying to do this, right? And this really pisses off Anonymous. And this is back in like when Anonymous was a big thing, um, the hacking group Anonymous. And so they put out like one of their cryptic messages and I'm gonna, I, I brought it here so I can actually read it. It says, congratulations, Sony. You have now received the undivided attention of Anonymous. Your recent legal actions against our fellow hackers, Geohot and Graf Chocolo, has not alarmed us. It has been deemed wholly unforgivable. Knowledge should be free. And it goes on for a little bit, but eventually says, you will now experience the wrath of Anonymous. You saw a hornet's nest and you stuck your penises in it. Excuse me. Uh, you must face <laughs> your actions, Anonymous style. Right? So they put out this like real big threat. And the first thing they do, so the first thing they do is from April 4th through April 7th, they basically DDoS the PlayStation Network. And it's just, it's down, it's unusable, no one can use it, right? But they realize after about three days that like the people getting punished here aren't, like Sony's not really getting punished. It's the people who want to play Sony games that are getting punished. So they put out almost, they come out and basically apologize. And they say, oops, we, we don't think this was the right move. We're really sorry. We were just trying to hit Sony. Sorry to all the innocent people who we impacted. Um, and they stop. So that's on April 7th. On April 20th, all of a sudden the network goes down again. But this time, it's not Anonymous is not taking credit for it, at least not publicly. And Sony kind of comes out vaguely and talks about it. And basically what happens is somebody, presumably Anonymous still, hacks into their network. And um, so when Sony detects it, they basically just freak out and take the whole network down. It's kind of similar to the NASA story earlier, right? Um, but they need to try to figure out what's going on. And basically what comes out and what ends up happening is 77 million user accounts were compromised. And that's names, addresses, birthdays, logins, emails, purchase histories, uh, credit cards, which it's kind of unclear whether they're encrypted or not, um, expiration dates, um, password hashes, the largest data breach in, up to that point. It's a big deal. And it's also out in like a very popular, like, Gaming is a very like huge community, right? So it's out in the mainstream press. You're seeing you're seeing this on the news, and that which is not something that a lot of hacks had made made their way onto at that point. So it was very well known. Um, Sony claims it cost them 171 million dollars. The pay, the PlayStation Network was down for 23 days, um, and and also the other thing to remember, you know, today <clears throat> if you want to watch Netflix or whatever. You know, you can go on, there's a, you can go on your Roku or your smart TV. Those didn't exist back then, but streaming was just starting to become popular. And PlayStations, there were people who didn't play games, but went out and bought PlayStations because that was how you made your TV a smart TV. And so this took down that all as well. Um, you, all of that stuff was offline. So it was really kind of a wide impact across the world, you know, the consumer base. Um, so it just, again, it was one of the biggest um, breaches in history up to that point. It was also a really bad, Sony did a really bad job communicating. Um, they were very vague. They said, they said very little. Everyone was just sort of speculating. And you could, it was one of those things where um, they lost control of the narrative and everyone was just sort of talking about how out of control it was and how much they lost. And, uh, you know, they didn't say much to really try to take control. So um, it's kind of looked at as a poor job on that as well.
And because you said about the credit cards uh, to being theft with IDs and everything, do we know if all of those data will be weaponized and used against, or they just said that okay, this is we have you, we got you? It was one of those. Um, I mean, it's always hard to know when credit card fraud is happening all the time. It's always hard to know, like, did it come from this breach or that breach or something else. Um, Sony did purchase, uh, you know, it's the classic, you know, here's a year's worth of credit monitoring for all impacted, blah, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think they tried to help mitigate it, but, you know, it's hard. It's always hard to tell exactly what happens to credit cards once they get into the wild. Wow. Okay. And uh, I, I, I love uh, that. Uh, first of all, for me, I will start from uh, the beginning from the thing that you said about the incident. Uh, for sure, now everyone would act uh, different. So, of course, a company to freak out. But chase the people, the users, to everyone who saw it, to be captivated or even told all. It's uh, insane. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it makes not to piece anonymous, but actually to feel that uh, I'm. Uh, Punished for a mistake that you did. I don't know what you think, but uh, it's uh, it's crazy. And uh, were there? Do you know about that point? If any, uh, so first of all, they in their message uh, they spoke about Geohot and Grafa Chocolo. Do we know what they did to them or what happened to them? They went to prison. No. Um, oh, no. Geohot is uh, a very successful. Um, hacker in the mindset of the hacker, I would say. Uh, he's a brilliant person. There are some videos of him doing um, op open CTFs that you can see him coding and uh, attacking systems. Just a piece of art to to watch him. And uh, he continued his career, and he, I believe, he still has a very bright career as a developer. Uh, as a developer at the moment. Wow. I believe, if I if I if I remember correctly, I believe he settled when when Sony went after him. He eventually settled as sort of a they he agreed to stop hacking PlayStation stuff and putting it out publicly, and they agreed to drop their lawsuits. And it was sort of a yeah. Keep in mind that that he he has uh, hacked. Uh, he did the first hack I think for the iPhone, the iOS sim, and uh, later on Android uh, for the Android as well. So after that, after he did the jailbreak in Sun Station, he jailbreaked iPhone or before? Before, I think. I think the iPhone was before. Cool. I say cool because without those jailbreaks, uh, iOS pentesters would be nothing. Like, uh, at least, <laughs> yes, because when you have to pen test an application like that, you have to install the application in the known iOS device that can be jailbreaked and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then it is your first finding. Uh, it installs in a later application, in, in, in a later version, and it's, it goes on. But you have to jailbreak first those days. I love them. I love the iOS hacking. Uh, but uh, they're so sophisticated. I don't know about you. Like this jailbreak, it, it needs some mindset of its own. Uh, I'm amazed. Sure. Uh, these things are, uh, I love them. I don't know how to say it. 
So, okay, he jailbreaked and uh, he did. Uh, we have also Ipsek on the chat who is supporting you guys. And he's saying, hey, Ipsek, he says that Jehod now owns a self driving company, comma AI. Whoa. For sure, it must be secure. Uh, <laughs> so, Jehod, idea. If you are watching us, what would you think if the next cyber apocalypse we contact you and we have maybe for finals a car for the people to hack? Hello, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, and it can be like a zero day. You can bring it there patched and uh, uh, yeah. Ah, that I don't want to jump at this to bring it patched and uh, say if it has any exploits. It reminds me on my moderation days and hack the box. One guy submitted just a Windows machine, just this. And I was trying to find what it has, what it has, and it was just a part of the thing. And I said, okay, I'm not that clever to find this yet. They rejected. <laughs> if I was, it was before um, SMB, and uh, not SM, before SMB, before WannaCry, so yeah. And uh, now that I said that, uh, no, we will not go yet to WannaCry. We will go to the Yahoo! Uh, cyber attack. Ah, before we go to Yahoo cyber attack, I will do a controversial question to you guys. What do you think of this move from Anonymous Group? If you want, we skip this question or we continue. It's free. Based on the current um, job status level, we should condone these activities and all such activities should not be taking place. Exactly. Uh, I'm not, I, uh, but I'm also not fan of any denial of service attack or any spamming. I don't think the mass hacking attempts. I think the mass poor, uh, poor attempts from people that they don't have a skill in order to produce something else. And yeah. it's very bad to punish. Uh, we, you shouldn't ever, ever, ever take action in your own hands, whatever is happening in your life. Not that karma will get anyone. No, that thing doesn't exist. Something did something bad, get over. Uh, go after it and chase and uh, do this kind of actions is uh, is not the great way to go. So, David, I... I I'm just going to say the same thing. I, I'm, I don't have a ton of sympathy for Sony here because I don't love the way they're acting, but I don't. the answer is never to take... I don't believe the answer is to take it into your own hands and try to, you know, vigilante justice just doesn't seem to, you end up, it's A, you get yourself in trouble. B, you just, the people you end up hurting along the way, you know, the 77 million users whose stuff got leaked, right? Like, yeah, Sony, it hurt Sony, but it also hurt them. And they had, you know, it's, it, you know, it's not, it's, I don't, I don't think that's ever the right answer. And it's also something I will put a funny note here. Something that everyone should know that the hacking or targeting someone for personal reasons is not the way to go. Uh, because we have one of the most common questions that we get in support, <laughs> in, uh, in our Instagram, in our Discord, in our Twitter, DMs everywhere is hack my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I loved also, I don't know if one I'm here is, uh, he created also the first one uh, response, uh, another response, guys, I don't know if you know it. Uh, first, get a girlfriend. First, step one, get a girlfriend. Step two, don't do this. It, it's not happening. And uh, when I was uh, at first as a community manager, I was replying 
the trust of every relationship is the foundation. So if you want to hack your, most probably something is wrong. So instead of focus your, uh, your intelligence and your time on hacking hair, grow your hacking skills because hacking is amazing. Something off uh, the table, but yeah. Uh, let's go now to another huge cyber attack uh, that I was also harmed from. And uh, at least uh, Yahoo was very famous back then, the Yahoo cyber attack. Uh, Nicholas, do you want to, to explain what happened? The Yahoo cyber attack has a very nice, uh, nice in the term of uh, hacking attempt. Uh, start. Uh, everything began in uh, 2014 when a spear phishing email was sent to several employees in the in the Yahoo. Uh, we don't know still how many of the employees were targeted in the attack, but of course in these cases you don't need many. You just need one to click in the email and it will provide you a certain, uh, certain access in the system. At that time, the, as it is documented now, a Latvian hacker was hired by Russian agents and started poking the network. Mm. Uh, he uh, managed to get, he looked for two things, the Yahoo database and the account management tool, which was giving him access to edit the database. He he found, the, he found bots and he managed also to install a backdoor in the data in the Yahoo servers that will allow him access. In uh, December of 2014, also he stole a, a backup copy of the Yahoo databases and he transferred to his computer. There were some issues while the access was maintained. Uh, one issue was that Yahoo had encrypted passwords. And uh, the tool also that it, they were using, the account management tool did not have access to search directly on the, um, on the usernames. So they couldn't target, again, to put you in perspective, this is mainly, this was this, a worldwide com company as Yahoo is, but uh, being US, Located, it is targeted by it was targeted by Russian parties at the time, okay. and uh, from what they were trying from the audit that it took about two years, they identified what was being accessed at the time, and uh, what was being accessed were uh, uh, several accounts for journalists. Um, government workers, online workers, uh, a Swiss Bitcoin company, um, Russian-related journalists, uh, US government workers, and accounts like that. In order to be able to get access to this account, they, they, and as they could not retrieve the password, the password was encrypted, they could uh, only generate nonsense um, ah. values that they are used in the cookies. So they could know how the cookies is formed. They could generate uh, the key for the cookie and they could generate a cookie itself. Uh, so they were using cookies 
in order to authenticate directly as the as the user. From initial initial amount was uh, 500 million account uh, that they were potentially accessed, but there were only 6,500 accounts that they were um, generated cookies. So okay. definitely, this one, this 6,500 were accessed. Later on, uh, and two years later, actually, from Yahoo, it was announced that there were three billion account in uh, being compromised. Whoa! Uh, the first thing that I would like to to mention uh, is that, as we see the progress of uh, cybersecurity. Uh, we see also the progress of attacks. We had password attacks, and now we have attacks with the nonsense from the cookies and generating cookies. That is something beautiful, uh, if I could say, because uh, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a beautiful attack, and it's something I think it is a technique that you use when they stress. You take the cookie, you check if it works, if you can generate, if you can reuse it, all this stuff. Uh, so it's um, is a very up to date. It's also very soon. It's 2014. It's not that, that far away. And uh, the, when you say that there were three billion accounts uh, compromised, you mean that uh, the the cookies were lit or that they were actually hacked? They were not hacked. They were not accessed. They were, but he could. He did have the database, so he had the names and encrypted passwords of 3 billion uh, users. Okay. Well, but uh, only the 6,500 uh, could be compromised, were compromised. Yes. Okay. And uh, does anyone take ownership for this? Ownership. Uh, there is a name, uh, Alexei Belan. Um, but uh, ownership, I believe, again, from what it is written, it's from uh, Russian agencies. Namely, they're um, referred in the news as Russian spies. But for that, we we cannot put uh, words in certainty. Yeah, we, we, yeah. yeah. Uh, whoa, that, that is huge. I remember this attack because I, it was it was at my end of the university, and uh, it was. It was mentioned and uh, we were discussing about it. and it was around when I started also working in uh, cybersecurity and uh, how it uh, happened I see that we we said about per phishing on uh, employees but how did they get access there from the initial email one single email let do everything one single email per phishing attack to the pole this is huge. Yeah, this is uh, we, see, no. we see still we still see it a lot happening. We have a, we have a, a slightly different approach these days. You have seen it maybe in your emails. Uh, anybody who's working in a company in a big company would have seen it. An email coming to your mailbox from your CEO, which actually has only the name of the CEO, but not the the email address is not correct. And uh, it will ask you by name that uh, please help me with something. I need you. I need something to be done urgent. This is a is a phishing uh, attack, spear phishing attack, but it is targeted uh, to companies' employees. 
Wow. The, the thing is that um, this attack, although it's 2014, it is something that you could face even, as you said, in the pentest days that you have now, that you do. Uh, I mean, the spare fishing and people opening. I don't know about you, but I love to when we're creating fishing scenarios. That's why I have also scenarios to the CTF. I love creating a concept. Uh, but um, it seems it, it is from uh, almost 10 years ago, and it's something that we see uh, that can show me that the cybersecurity awareness and the training is not uh, there what we, it would it should be yet maybe I don't know uh, I don't know your thoughts uh, guys human uh, well there is always a human factor to take place so when you will see an email if the content is well created enough you may click on it yeah we in in our in our job we are trying to prevent that we are trying to raise the awareness for the users in such cases. Uh, but um, there will be cases. Yeah. yeah there, there will be cases. There will be people that they will click in the email because it really seemed urgent, it really seemed important. Wow. And yeah, David, go ahead. I was going to say, my memory of this event, I don't remember, I don't remember what year we found out about it. It was probably towards the end and probably after the, after it was patched or whatever, but, or fixed. But, you know, I was working on a security team at the time and, we had to play through in our heads what happened how do we protect our company how do we protect our network from an email from a legit yahoo address of like one of our senior executives right like one of our ceos or we are like if the ceo or like an important important manager if their yahoo address emails one of the employees and says please do this this and this no one's going to suspect that right and how do we protect against that when it's coming from the real email address, like we are, we'd kind of thought through before, okay, how do we detect lookalike email addresses, right? If yeah. someone registers an email address that we, isn't theirs, but if it's a real email address they've emailed with before, you know, how do we, how do we protect people against that? That was a real challenge. Um, the idea that someone could just get into Yahoo and craft token, craft cookies and have whatever account they want. Like that's a, that's a real um, tough one to think about how to protect yourself against. And, you know, we'll get to, I think, the last hack and we get to solar winds and start talking supply chain. But in some sense, this is like almost the first supply chain attack. If you can get into that Yahoo where you can forge cookies, now all of a sudden, what, what are the downstream consequences of that? And it, it becomes really hard to defend against. Yeah. Sure. Uh, go, go ahead, Nicholas. No, 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 you. Oh, uh, no, I wanted to say that uh, in my experience, because... Uh, I don't want to take any credit of it, but uh, because I, I, you know, I'm uh, not because I'm a girl, but like I like things pretty, neat. Uh, the emails that we were creating when we were creating social engineering campaigns were beautiful. And uh, we had a nice, and we were nurturing the domains and all this stuff. Like the, the hard part was at least when I was a pen tester in 2016 and after, uh, it was like to make everything seem very true and to have very realistic domains and uh, yeah. But we were still getting through and uh, I don't believe I'm that sophisticated <laughs> in order to create that kind of attacks because I was um, not an intern, but it was very young. I, I think that the posture is very low. Go ahead, Nicholas, you wanted to say something. 
Oh, generally, when uh, an attack involves the human factor, it's uh, very difficult to, uh, to prevent from. One uh, one case that uh, a case that I would like to see also is the social engineering attack. There are some really great experts in the area um, who perform attacks. They have videos, and you can simply not believe the the way that they are creating it. It's, it's amazing, amazing. Yeah. Uh, an ex, uh, when I was in uh, my um, uh, university, I was not my master, my, my bachelor degree. We had uh, a student that was helping us, you know, in the workshops, and he was actually taking psychology lessons in order to create more sophisticated attacks. I don't know if he sees us right now. He is working in Barclays in the redeeming department. He's called Candias. You might know him. He's quite known and amazing, shout out to you, Mithos, if you listen, and uh, he was creating and he was showcasing, like, even the words and everything, like, I understand what you say, and it might be an interesting AMEA uh, about social engineering attacks and creating something meaningful, not just a, oh, press this because you will lose uh, access. Beautiful. Uh, we can go to the next one. I, and I already know who really, really wants to talk about it and uh, share his tears with us. Uh, so we have drumroll, wanna cry ransomware uh, in 2017. David, what happened back then? Share your story with us. We are this here. Is a, this is an interesting story because it's 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 going to involve three different you know three different intelligence agencies or at least I mean none of this we we don't actually know any of the attribution stuff but it's kind of widely attributed to based on. The sources that are out there. Um, it starts with we talked we talked a little bit earlier about the shadow brokers, um, which is attributed to be a Russian government thing. Um, but it's basically a group of people hackers who start leaking stuff on um, a group known as the Equation Group, which is loosely attributed to be the U.S. National Security Security Agency. Um, and so they're dumping data out there, and in their fifth dump of data and tools in April 2017. Um, there's included in that is an SMB exploit. Um, and now that exploit was patched uh, a month earlier, uh, MS1710 by Microsoft. Um, but it also is kind of colloquially known now as Eternal Blue, because um, it was labeled in the dump. And basically, this exploit, if you can get access to SMB, which is open on a Windows machine, you can become system. And so this leaks in April, and it's out there in a sense that basically, you know, there's a Metasploit module for it. Um, there's a hack the box box called Blue that literally, it's. I don't think we'd publish a box like this today because it's too simple. You you point Metasploit at it, you get both legs. Um, you're done. Um, but you know, this 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 vulnerability comes out, and it's a big deal. Um, the word, you know, for a while, there's kind of a buzz in the intelligence community or intelligence in the information security community about like. Could this be wormed? Could someone put this into a worm and let it loose on the internet? And you know, it's good that this was patched in March, but like, not we all know that patching doesn't just happen the second patches come out, and that especially large companies often take a while to do that. Um, and so, in May, a worm does release, and it kind of causes panic. Um, I was working in a sock at the time, and I remember it was very, you know. It was a Friday afternoon, and the and the worm, we, rumors of this worm going around got out there, and we basically said, we need to know if we have any SMB facing the internet now, because otherwise we're going to be in trouble. And luckily, we were okay. We actually were in pretty good shape. 
Um, so it didn't ruin anyone's weekend. But um, so anyway, this worm is going around and it's acting like ransomware. Like it, it encrypts your computer. It um, puts up a message. The, it didn't really work though. Um, it wasn't, you know, and in the end they raised less than $100,000 despite going across over 200,000 computers, 150 countries. Um, this is largely attributed to be the work of the North Korean government, although no one really knows why they released it. Like, did they intend to release this just to kind of cause panic? Was it a practice? Was it some capability they were developing that escaped and got outside their control and sort of go wild? Um, it's unknown. The other interesting story about this one, though, is the code had, had what was kind of referred to as a kill switch in it. And that's to say, yes. before it did anything bad, it, it did a DNS lookup for this domain. This, it was a long random domain. And it, assuming that domain failed, which it would because no one had ever registered it, then it would continue on and do its thing. And so there's these researchers. Um, the one most famous for it is a guy named Marcus Hutchins, who is looking at this and sees that and goes, I'm going to just register to this domain and see what happens. And it really ends up slowing down the worm hugely. I mean, it could, this could have been so much worse. Um, there's a really interesting talk from B-Sides Liverpool um, by a guy named Jamie, ha Jamie Hankins, who was working with Marcus at the time, where he kind of like details day by day, want to cry and how they figured out this was going on and how they registered it and how they ended up setting up a, a honeypot domain to see how many now, because now they registered it, they can see how many computers are connecting into it because the, every time it exploits something, it tries to connect that domain. So now they control it and they can see it. Um, so it's a fascinating talk. I'd recommend it. Um, but anyway, this worm's going around the world encrypting stuff. And, um, you know, there's all this chaos because it's just indiscriminate, right? The, the National Health Service in the UK got taken down for a lot. Um, I remember hearing stories of these huge multinational companies um, who they had one domain controller that happened to be offline for maintenance at the time. And every everything else in their entire domain got ransomware. So they had to put a guy on a boat to go down into Africa to collect this one domain control because they didn't trust putting it back online and they wanted to be able to get it and replicate it so they didn't lose everything. Um, I can't remember exactly which company that was, but you know, there's just this huge, um, the world, you know, it's like if you had SMB open, your whole network could have gotten wrecked. And uh, it was like the biggest worm going around definitely since like Conficker back in 2008. So um, it was it was a huge deal. Um, it, and thank goodness for the kill switch and thank goodness the patches had come out two months earlier because if timing had been around a little bit differently, it could have been a whole lot worse. Whoa. And actually finding the case, which must be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like what you said, that they will, they will travel to Africa, you said, in order to get... Uh, it's like, it reminds me of um, the IT crowd uh, scene. Here is the internet and I'm holding it. Like, here is the server. <laughs> <laughs> and and holding it uh, with their hearts. Uh, oh my God, it's it's hilarious. Uh, I, I remember this attack because I was also as a sandmid back then. It was a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is uh, because I don't know because I'm located in Greece or anything, but uh, I my first domain admin was by using these and um, I was very happy and proud and then my manager told me okay you didn't do something huge it was like uh, press and uh, enter it wasn't something but it was amazing that after two three years it was still working uh, 
I loved it a moment, but then he destroyed it because, yes, I didn't do something huge. It was there in Metasploit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was something. And I remember it that I was taking a certification. And I was like, okay, I can take the flag by using this. But uh, that will not be in the exam. It is from the exam. It's widely known to everyone. Uh, what I would do. So, okay, I was getting the flag at first when I was uh, training, uh, but I had to find also the original exploit because they have patched everything in the exam uh, at the end. Um, but it was amazing either way. I loved this exploit. And um, I, remember, I remember it very vividly because I, I had, uh, after that, I thought I would find it everywhere. Sadly, no. Uh, but yeah, I got uh, one domain admin. It was amazing. Well, it does inspire people to patch, you know, like if people were being slow about patching, you know, this is a good uh, push to get you going on that, you know, because otherwise you're going to have new computers. <laughs> uh, what they were saying, it's like, no, that can be found by everyone and it's that easy. If it's that easy, you should patch it. This is, this is not a, how we say, it's not a, it's not a feature. It's an actual vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, it's not dependent. And um, strange thing is that we still see in some cases. We still see machines that being exploited by. Uh, I do not believe. Of... It cannot. Yeah. No, yeah. really. I have. Uh, okay. Because, you know, I see people in hack the box and I'm like, oh, this is CVE and no one is having CVE outside and blah, blah. But I wouldn't expect that we would find MSF. Uh, yeah, reality is different. Oh, I mean, okay. there's still there's still some of the older worms that are even older than like we went back in this in this conversation. You know, are still floating around the internet because there's computers that got tucked in a closet somewhere that no one ever <laughs> no one ever thinks to update again, and it's still sitting there with vulnerable to everything and everything. Just every worm on the internet just comes over, you know, <laughs> plays with it for a while, it jumps on and starts spreading from it, and that, yeah. that stuff will just never go away. I remember when this was the worm with the BDS, I was playing all day. Uh, I don't remember who it is or who it was. There was a tool that you could just use it in Linux, create some PDFs, you were sending them. I don't know. I don't remember because it was like, uh, you, you, might, you might remember how it was. Image tragic. That was another amazing thing. Uh, what days? Um, and uh, uh, now we can... Uh, oh, no, I will ask something else. Uh, so, ZXDF, you were working and uh, you were searching for SMBs open from your work. Nicholas, where were you when this exploit happened? I was working also as a system administrator, but uh, I had only Linux systems. <laughs> oh, okay! <laughs> <laughs> At that time, yes. I can imagine you being uh, like... Um, uh, the Godfather, the movie. You are like that with uh, a, a cat here and a ring, and be like mm, and watching, nice. watching the others. Yes, <laughs> mm, let's let the others <laughs> Okay, that must be very fun. Uh, I mean, this is one of those ones where you, you know, I always think of our, our one of the guys on our infrastructure team who yells at you whenever you say the word "should," but like nobody should have SMB exposed to the internet. Right, SMB is not a sure. protocol that is made to be hardened against the the world talking to it. Um, so, if you're doing thing, you know, if your network is set up correctly, this shouldn't have gotten to you. But like, 
when things hit the real world, all the should start to fall apart. Right. And that's where yeah. one exception one time, and then, you know, it's a worm. So it gets through the one crack and now, it, now, Oh, it, it is exposed internally. And that's, you know, where you get in trouble. So. Uh, that's true. And I don't know for, I, I have been hacked. I know it, uh, but I don't know if you like sometimes that you have not used the best practices and you understand that you were hacked. I'm not sure I've been, I'm not sure if I've necessarily been hacked, but I know a number of times where I've caught myself being like, well, I would always tell everyone never do this, but I guess I'm going to do it here because I'm lazy and I don't want to actually do it the right way. seems hard. You know, it's, it's really hard to do everything right for sure. What about you, Nicolas? Have you not ever been hacked? Not, not that I know of. Yeah. I'm actually happy that I know it. I'm not sure if it's happened again. And, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> I did from to me it was with the Bas Bunny. They were not uh, that famous uh, back then, uh, and it was uh, black. Uh, and then I bought it one myself, and I was playing Bas Bunny. It's so amazing. It's very nice. Yeah, it's very neat. You can do some amazing stuff. Ugh. Sorry, I, I seem like, but I am in love with security. Uh, so, and then we go to the last one. Uh, attack for the day, and we can uh, chat for any other things that you want to mention, guys. The solar winds hack, uh, the supply chain one. Uh, yeah. So, do you want to say more about it, David? Yeah. So, Solar Winds is, is actually a company that makes a product called Orion, and it's a network management tool. And so, when you start to get to these big networks that have you know hundred thousand computers and hundreds and thousands of switches and routers and stuff and all sorts of infrastructure, you know, for an admin team to manage that, you can't just, you're not just going to like SSH into things one at a time, right? Like you got to, you need a product like this to manage it. And so it's a pretty big company that, especially in US networks, um, but worldwide, honestly. Um, and so somebody, again, this is one of those ones where we're, we're going to say, we're going to say it was APT29, Russian government. Uh, evidence for that, it's, you know, it's there. It's not solid for sure. Um, but somebody managed to exploit um, into the company SolarWinds and get into their build process. And so basically what they did was they pushed out code that was a backdoor to anyone running SolarWinds. And so this thing would beacon home and connect to them. And so roughly, um, there's roughly 33,000 customers of SolarWinds, including a lot of like big US government networks, um, big US companies, especially. Um, now, SolarWinds says 18,000 of them downloaded the update that included the malicious backdoor. Um, now, it's not like immediately clear to us how many of those. So you have 18,000 companies whose SolarWinds server is now beaconing back to presumably the Russians. Um, that's a lot of that's a lot of companies to triage. But you know, they can start to look and say, "Oh, who's who's talking to me? How many? Who do I want to actually go interact with?" Um, so. It's not actually publicly known how APT29 got into SolarWinds. Um, there was some scuttlebutt going around like about an FTP server, a password for an FTP server getting posted in a public forum. Um, the password was like SolarWinds123. Um, now, the company denied wow. that that had anything to do with the intrusion. So again, we don't know for sure, um, but that's possible. Um, then I guess at the end of the day, this was like kind of the first major publicly known supply chain hack, right? This is the first time. So, you know, we can defend against our network getting hacked, but at some point you have to trust what's going on around you, right? Like 
I have this chip. If I, I, I trust that this chip is going to do what, the, what, what it's supposed to do, right? I have this RAM. Okay, I'm, now I have this computer. I kind of trust what it's going to do. But like, if people can just push things in through supply chain, like, how do you defend against that? And that's, um, it's been an issue that's been being discussed for a while, but this is the first like major attack that we saw really pulled off that way. Um, I will say that the attack came to light because FireEye was one of the companies who was running SolarWinds, who oh. had their SolarWinds server infected. And I believe actually the, the, the person who attacked, the attacker here started interacting with them. I believe they actually registered a phone, a new, a new phone with them. Anyway, they were, they were taking actual steps beyond just the beacon of the original one. And FireEye detected it and started tracing it back and eventually reverse engineered the SolarWinds update and went back to SolarWinds and said, um, WTF, like, why, why is this in your, in your uh, update you sent me? Which eventually, you know, they worked with the government and the FBI, et cetera, and got this out publicly. But um, it was a big deal because now you have, you know, if the Russians have had some period of time with unfettered access to your network, um, it's worth mentioning SolarWinds, the Orion has to run with like high privileges because it's managing everything, right? So it effectively is root admin on everything because it has to be. That's how it does its job. So you basically got some number of weeks, months, maybe even longer with the Russians having access to you, your high prior, your network as root user. How do you flush them out? Like, how, what do you, how do you recover from that? Um, and that was a big question going through, again, a lot of US government networks, a lot of big companies in the US and, and worldwide. Um, so it's pretty significant, pretty big deal. Um. Hey, I'm speechless. First of all, it is amazing that their client uh, found it and uh, traced back. Uh, it's like a uh, pun intended, and it's also fire. I also called this to them. Uh, has, uh, so this has been used. Do we know how many companies were uh, affected by this uh, attack? So 18,000 companies downloaded the update. I don't know that we have any way to guess how many of those did the Russians or whoever this was, you know, actually go in and start interacting with and trying to advance beyond that. Um, yeah. That's hard to say. Um, because again, even if your company did get, even if you did go and do IR and find they did go into your, you know, they did more, you're not going to go sign up, report back to anyone. And there's no, no one's keeping that list, right? Um, so. Yeah. Okay, and uh, in order to, it's, it's not like where someone comes from. It's a hacker. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any difference where they come from or their ethnicity or something. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to clarify it for everyone in the stream. Uh, it is uh, also, uh, how soon they disclosed it and what happened? Do we know? Like, okay, they, they understood. I find I found it. And they came back. How was the disclosure after if they announced anything? Um, they did. I mean, they did announce it. They 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 took. They came out and said, um, you know, yeah, this, yeah, this happened. Um, we take your security seriously. You know, the standard stuff. Um, I don't. I don't know a lot about you know where it went from there. It was kind of more of a, okay. I mean, I'm not sure what SolarWinds could do for you at that point, right? At this point, you know, they obviously put out a clean patched update that you could update and get that specific box fixed to remove that. Um, the don't, you know, I believe, I didn't look this up, but I believe if I remember correctly, it was using um, DNS C2, at least partially. So, you know, you could, if you had DNS, there's lots of IOCs floating around that you could go look through your network and logs. Um, 
for personally, this is actually just as I just left my previous job to come work for Hack the Box. So I had no personal responsibilities for this. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, did, I didn't do much uh, actual, I didn't have access to gobs of data to go dig through and figure out impact because I had, was basically done working at my previous job. So, um, but uh, you know, the, you know, the information was out there so that people could go and try to figure out what happened. But, you know, a lot of people had to roll IR based on this and based on just doing the right thing, which is installing the update, right? Um, yeah. So. And it's something that is nice, as we said before, for the other attacks that uh, Nicolas also explained, that they are changing, not, okay, now we see the cookies, now we see the, then we see the PLC, who knew uh, that you could hack a PLC. Now you see also that they hack the supply chain in order to, you know, to infect more and more. Like uh, they're not getting more sophisticated on the exploit, but on the way and what to target, like what it makes sense to hack. Uh, so the supply chain from that aspect, it sounds very clever. But, uh, I have never been tested something like that. I have never, so I don't know, uh, but uh, it's cool. It's funny you say it that way because I always um, I gave a talk a couple a year or so ago about how I really enjoy doing phishing doc playing with phishing documents and reverse engineering them and one of the reasons I love it is because it doesn't get technically it doesn't have to be technically more crazy it doesn't have to be really complicated it just has to be creative and they have to think of different ways to get around things and I always kind of think of that as when I think about phishing documents but you're right it kind of applies to everything right like all hacking doesn't necessarily, I mean, it can get very technical, but also there's, if you can just be creative and think of interesting ways to approach it, um, you can often do it with very, you know, very simple exploits. If, again, I don't know exactly how they got into SolarWinds, but if it was a password on an FTP server, or even if it was a phishing email, right? Simple stuff, if you get in the right place, all of a sudden now you've got a backdoor in 33,000 networks, like that's, that's a pretty big win. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the find the new ways like uh, that go from, okay, now we go to PLC. Now we check nonsense. Now we check the supply chain. It's amazing. It, uh, the solar wind had one more key information that uh, David mentioned earlier. The, the system itself, as it is created to supervise networks and supervise systems, other supervise other systems, and it had access to multiple systems. So by you, by having this one compromised, you had access to the whole network directly. It was very critically positioned. Nice. If I knew my network was hit by this, and if I knew that the attackers had actually gone into my network, I, I don't know how you get them out, honestly. I mean, the amount of the amount of, to feel to ever feel comfortable that you've completely gotten them out of that network uh i'm not sure you could do it you, you have to, that, it's yeah. a real challenge the real challenge is also from attacker perspective is how do you manage the whole information you have access to a vast number of systems that you don't know directly where, where are they from what do they contain and what is inside that you can exfiltrate it, it takes a tremendous amount of time yeah also. Oh. Well, and that's why, you know, we can say 18,000 networks downloaded this update, but how many did they actually have time to go interact with and triage and figure out the value and figure out if they want to maintain persistence? I mean, that is a ton of work. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, so if we had to say that there is one key takeaway from uh, this uh, topic that we discussed today about the horror stories, what it would be uh, from uh, you guys? 
It's very difficult, this one. This one is very difficult. When you are talking about supply chain attack, it's very difficult on the way that you would go in order to prevent, uh, to prevent it. Yeah. You have to keep a track of everything. Uh, you, you need to have a great asset uh, inventory in your company and you need a very good uh, way of doing uh, the updates to, valid, to verify everything that you have and keep everything uh, in, uh, in, in line. Nice point. And what about you, David? Yeah, I was say, like, if this is the whole... I know zero trust is kind of a word that gets thrown around now is like... The next is like a buzzword, but the whole, you know, the whole idea of you have to always, you know, whether it's whether it's solar winds or the Yahoo thing, you know, always assume assume breach, you know, assume that something is, you know, don't trust everything. Always be skeptical and think that oh, how could this, you know, what if someone, what if a bad guy was here trying to attack? How would how would I recognize that? Would I have alerts in place? Um, you know, it's it's really a mindset of def defense is really hard and. Uh, but it's also, I mean, that's what makes it exciting, right? Um, is that you can, there's, there's always put yourself, you can't just like sit back and say, oh, look, I got, I'm done. Everything, we're protected. You know, you got to always be thinking about what's the next way something's going to come in. And so it's, it's interesting for sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, I think also these are, they, these sum up uh, a lot of, not how this can be prevented because nothing can be prevented. It's like, uh, a, 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 how is it called? A, a physical disaster. You cannot bypass it, like something that happens. Uh, and for me, it is that uh, you should always be informed. Uh, like, uh, maybe you cannot track of everything, asset inventory, as you said, huge. Uh, and to track everything huge, but try to be informed and close to the security um, updates and incidents and what is asked. Because the fact that we find... Um, Wanna cry? Uh, no, wanna cry. Internal blue yet? It's beyond me. I couldn't imagine it. Uh, but uh, that's the end of our talk. I don't know if you want to mention some other attacks that uh, struck you the most, guys. Uh, that you want to mention, or we can wrap up. Um, for my side, only one thing we have recently attacked in the many attacks in blockchain environments, which are mm. very interesting, but they are a completely different topic with a lot of. Uh, a lot of assets being uh, stolen, millions of its uh, in many attacks, uh, which are very interesting topic also maybe to see at some point. Yeah, the blo blockchain attacks, nice, and uh, it's it's a new era. And uh, what about you, David? Um, you mean like other attacks that could have been on our list? Yeah, something like that, or something that has struck you the most, but we didn't discuss uh, discuss it today. I mean, I have a. I, I mentioned it a little. I always I have interesting memories of Conficker was a worm that went around back in two thousand eight. That was um, it was fascinating because it was it was running around exploiting um, this. It's one of the few. Uh, it's MS O eight O six seven. I don't remember that many MS MS numbers, but like you know seventeen ten, you remember and MS O eight O six seven was another SMB vulnerability running around. Um, and they were just owning huge parts of the internet and no one knew why. And it was all this speculation as to what was gonna happen at the end. Was it was eventually they gonna, you know, shut down all these computers or are they eventually just gonna, <laughs> and eventually it kind of just fizzled off and went away. And it was never, it was kind of a bummer of an end. Well, it, it was a good end, I guess, in a sense, but like all the intrigue about what's going on here, um, it never really led into anything, but it was, it was kind of fascinating. There's just a ton of vulnerable computers floating around.
Okay, I let me Google. You said it is MS MS oh eight oh six seven. Ah yeah ah. Meta, yes, I, I remember it because I used to use it in some uh, hack, in my UCP training, in Hack the Box, something like that. I remember it. It's a very I, reliable exploit. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Uh, so that was all. Uh, thank you very much, guys, uh, for your time and your wit and your wisdom today. Uh, it was actually very fun. I think it, it's one of the... One of the amas that I really enjoyed because I learned many things today. Thank you for uh, that. And um, I don't know if you have something to say to the rest. Uh, for me, it is just uh, everyone, please stay safe and uh, we'll catch up soon. Uh, Nicolas, anything that you want to say to the community? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you all. And thank you very much for having me today here. David, appreciate also your time. And you, David, something yeah, that you want so to much. say? Thank you, Sodi, for hosting. And uh, Nicholas, it's great to be on here with you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for hanging around. This has hopefully been fun. I've enjoyed okay. it. Bye, Stay guys. Safe. I'm going to remove. Perfect. And uh, that was it. Another MEA came to the end. Thank you so much. I'm uh, here with. Uh, uh, he's, maybe he's probably still waiting for uh, MS uh, 17 to patch everywhere. Uh, but uh, yeah. Thank you. Make sure to leave comments. It will be live on YouTube. We will put also timestamps per attack. So you can go there. We will have also links of the Twitter of the, the amazing professionals that were with us today to follow them on Twitter. And also David has his channel on YouTube. So you can go and check out more of their tips. As of me, thank you so much for being here. We don't take it for granted. Have an amazing rest of the day. Bye. And that's all for today's AMA. Join our Discord at discord.gg slash hackthebox. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at hackthebox. And see you next episode.